1: If you don't laugh, you're gonna go on a killing spree to shop nail Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's all one I choose to go my life to. That's okay. It means something. It means something. And you know, that's my take on what's old Protonic
0: reversal. That's like a science thing, right?
1: Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Fantastic guest. Today on this special edition, this Quarantimes Friday edition, of Protonic Reversal, Mr. Page Hamilton. And uh, if I may, for the for the new listeners, Protonic Reversal is a show that is broadcast live on the internet at radionope.com. Then archived later at protonicreversal.com, more or less weekly. Uh, more these days. We uh, settle into kind of like about two episodes a week usually. But you can find all the archives at platonicreversal.com. So if you enjoy this conversation with Paige and you want to hear others like it with other artists, go do that. Uh, Everyone else, hey, thanks for tuning in at this kind of weird time. Weird time for this show. It's a perfectly fine time. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm a big Helmet fan, big fan of Mr. Hamilton in general. And uh, I'm not going to spend too much time preluding this. So let's just say that if you are interested in the show, patreon.com slash Reversal, $1 a month will get you access to the archived episodes sooner than anybody else. So if that's a thing that is of interest to you, well, go on ahead and do it. Uh, Yeah, and let's get right down to it. And there he is. Mr. Pitch Hamilton
0: like, okay. I got I got, I'm, in a, I'm fucking falling down a rabbit hole and having some incredible uh, ground lift issues and I'm trying to figure out why um, it's driving me crazy it's just like uh Besides the CNN documentary that I'm doing guitars for and I can't figure out the source of the noise it's really crazy it's like, plus during the day you get these radio stations and
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that that that's probably not conducive towards a composition. What one one might? Yeah, happen. not good.
0: not good. I'm gonna try this one out. Anyway, sorry, I uh the time got away from
1: me, but uh,
0: I'll get to this. So we can. This will be a good a good relief. So, Talk about.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you have like ground lifts, uh, like, like those, uh, like, you know, the, the ones you get from the hardware store, do you have like a box of those around or anything? Along oh, the
0: lines? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> those are necessity. I think for anyone that, I think you sh- if you do anything in audio, you should be just issued like a box of those.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is a new, this is, I don't know. Like I haven't, I don't know. This is a daytime. Usually I work at night, but this, uh, the composer on this film, he needs some stuff. So um, I'm trying to get it done today because I have to. I'm shooting these instructional videos and doing some stuff for my for helmet and uh, so <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to get it done for him. But you know, best laid plans.
1: You're uh, yeah, you're 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 being a pretty busy guy, which is which is not surprising in any way, shape, or form. Is it is the thing you're you're doing? Is anything you can you can speak to? This I think you said CNN. Oh, this is
0: um, this is just a session gig. Um, okay. My- a good friend of mine, who's a film composer, um, he teaches at USC, which is uh, one of the, the uh, you know film schools at University of Southern California here. And I met him, God years ago when I first moved to LA. I was taking orchestration lessons from uh, the late great Jack Smalley. Oh sure. And uh, and I said, hey, I need I need help on when, with Logic audio. And he said, oh, I got this kid, this student, he's really good with that stuff former student so we hooked up and he helped me with all my computer stuff and then as time went on he he ended up becoming uh, a professor at USC and getting a lot of film scoring work and and I said hey I got this film scoring gig let's do it together so we did about five films together and then he does that's his main uh, job so and for me it's a secondary job the film scoring thing it's fun but uh, but the session stuff is fun because he does a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of little indie films and he had that. Um, did, did you see? You probably didn't, didn't see see the kissing booth, uh, fabulous kissing booth. Uh, that sounds,
1: was, that sounds familiar. That was a it was like a, a film, film, like a yeah, romantic teen, comedy. Uh,
0: teen, teen romantic comedy was like at the time the first one was the biggest. Hit in the history of Netflix. Yeah, and it's like it's like a, a series two.
1: or something, right? It's like a series of team Yeah, they,
0: they did a number two, and then um, their number three. Netflix decided they wanted to break the director's balls, so they had him go in and recut. <laughs> we we worked on it. God, I think we worked on it on three. It feels like a year ago, and now it's just coming around again. So they're going to have me in a couple of weeks. But this. Uh, um, That I'm doing right now is a documentary for CNN on these three camera women. That um, and I just when when you're working on a film, you're just seeing bits and pieces, obviously. So I haven't seen the whole film. But uh, it's pretty incredible. One of the women was, uh, I think, in Iraq, shot in the face, and but she survived. Um, (laughs) These, you know, incredibly brave people that put themselves in harm's way to bring us the news. You know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly.
0: It's incredible, pretty incredible. So, yeah. So that's just kind of uh, today, and then I'm doing. Um, I'm behind on um, uh, these helmet. Uh, um, the, the guy that did, does the Page Hamilton distortion pedal mm-hmm. suggested a few months ago, "Hey, you should do just how, This is how you play it." Or he, he said, "Book it as you're playing it wrong, like for helmet songs." And I said, "Oh, that's a cool idea." And then <laughs> a lot of my a lot, a lot of my guitar students are are asking me to be like okay, can you teach me, you know, Scree Crab or Wilma's Rainbow or whatever. So i do that in a lesson and then it'll occur to me, hey, I'll, I'll do a little video. So I saw it before I went to New York last week. I, uh, I shot like five, uh, I kept shooting Wilma's Rainbow <laughs> and my phone, my phone kept saying out of space. So I deleted like 20 things, did it again, kept happening. I just, technology, I just, I hate it. It's such a pain in the ass. Uh, But uh, so I want to do those. I have like four songs lined up right now. Milk Toast is one. Wilma's Speechless and Street Crab are four that I've had requests for. I already did Role Model and Give It and those were really fun. Uh, So it's kind of interesting, like uh, because of the pandemic, we're all sort of thrown into this situation where... We have, you know, we're we're forced to do other things for for you know. First of all, to keep from going crazy, and
1: second, <laughs> sure, yeah,
0: <laughs> hopefully earn some earn some money, you know. Uh, um, yeah. Keep the lights it's not, on. not, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so it's, uh, but but the because I have always kind of been a glasses half full kind of person. I'm going, God, this is really cool because I never went in to analyze. Role model at all. I wrote the song in '91, recorded it, you know, did "Meantime" and that was it. We'd play it live, but I never yeah. thought about what went into the song. You know, what the, you know, I don't think about key centers or, or like yeah. modes or anything like that. I write what I hear, and so I was like, well, it's in D minor, and um, then I go to the four chord here, and that's the Dorian lick because I stole this little lick from Steely Dan from. Uh, Rick Derringer's solo on I think it's Showbiz Kids. Uh, <laughs> nice. This is cool. This is a cool riff that I've since I was 12 years old and first heard it. I always thought this is really I don't know if my amps even on, but. And I don't know if you can hear it, but uh, um, so I always I always wanted to use that in something, and so I ended up uh, with uh, in. Yeah, there it is. So a uh, uh, roll is Yeah, yeah That,
1: that
0: tritone thing with
1: And a Dorian
0: But, I, you know And it's funny because, yeah, if, just,
1: the, if the I bed was different these. Like if the, yeah, yeah, I could, totally, I could totally hear That now that you mention it Where I never would have thought of that If you hadn't mentioned that though Because in the context it sounds completely, completely different it's it's uh yeah, hits yeah differently
0: yeah, yeah my, my my former my friend uh tim Carr, may he rest in peace uh who was at warner brothers records and and tried desperately to sign helmet um we went to interscope obviously but he ended up uh, uh recruiting me for the the movie heat uh ellie goldfeld the great yeah. yeah. composer that's that movie's Looking great and tim um tim pointed out well you know it's like everybody borrows something he goes that break and unsung is a Jimi hendrix vibe and i go like you're probably right but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um because you know those those things that you absorb through osmosis some things you consciously sometimes you consciously make a choice like in role model that solo
1: yeah
0: i gotta use that tritone i gotta use that rick derringer thing and other things creep into your songwriting just from listening to listening you know actively and, and stuff so those are kind of two examples but um
1: well and it's interesting too that the, you bring up unsung because i was going to say it's it's it almost is like a um like a smoke on the water style riff you know what i mean that like uh. y- you'll hear people like when they plug in an amp and they try it out it's like you know they, they dun. i mean beavis and butthead right you know it's it's, it's like it's so yeah, yeah. it's a singable riff in that way and, yeah, yeah, and that song's like you know all about like kind of tension and release, and like there's there's a big there's a big kind of dynamic range between it, and it's it's fascinating to me that like um you know it's it's got, certainly got pop sensibility, but I remember like you know at the time that that you know it, it helped with MTV was a wildly different concern then, and but like everyone was oh helmet, they're the new Nirvana, this and that, and and, and like everybody was freaking out about it it's a great tune don't get me wrong it's like i I, I, you know it it works and it transcends the helmet discography as well as exemplifies it but i mean did you have an idea when you wrote it that like that was like a special song or is that a song that like might have wider appeal than other ones or did it kind of just seem like oh yeah that's a riff i
0: i feel i feel like that every time i write a song like i i was i when when i wrote uh uh um God, there's a song on uh, Dead to the World. I'm, draw, I'm drawing a blank right now because I got, I got this Rick Derringer lick stuck in my head. Damn you, Derringer! Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uh,
1: uh,
0: look, the song "Look Alive." Yeah. Um, I just, I, I was really. It was very different from anything that we do or have done, and I had these, this cool slow chordal thing. And um, and then the idea of, of uh, you know poor fractured atlas that Elvis Costello song, um, holding you know the, holding the world on his shoulders, and um, and that song I thought I was like God you know our bus driver um, a couple tours ago like, I love that song look alive and I'm like yeah we don't do it live because right. it's got so many layers it's such a simple song it's a it, uh, But yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a special song. I feel I felt with driving nowhere when I was in Philly and it was soundcheck, and I that riff popped in my head, out of the blue. I was like, whoa, that's cool, you know. So I mean, as far unsung, it took a long time to to complete the arrangement because it was a a, it was a structure that wasn't hadn't kind of previously existed in a pop song format. it, It starts off with an intro, and then there's a a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and that's then after that it's it's a whole different kind of thing. It goes into this, what I call this harmonic development thing, and yeah. to, to get those chords, to kind of get those chords worked out in a sequence, um, that 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 made sense and it was cool. Took took time, you know, and and uh, I, I had fun writing. I knew that was a cool riff, you know, I, the whole idea of feeling like the the the, the, the the beat shift you know what i mean like a ryth- yeah. it's called ryth- rhythmic displacement is you know to be specific is and um i think so many bands are right you know in, in heavier bands became fascinated with just the set the cool sound of drop tuning that you can play anything you play sounds kind of cool it doesn't make it a good riff you know <laughs> what i mean like if you right you still have right you still have, and, and i think with with um you know, riff writing is like is like an orchestral type thing. I mean, it's it's a mo- it's a motif, right? I mean, Beethoven, you know, bum bum bum, bum You know, that's the that's greatest lesson. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. the greatest lesson in heavy metal riff writing ever. Yeah, bum, 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 bum. What's he doing? He's repeating a rhythm w- with new notes, and you so he's moving. You know, and, and he's 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 developing an idea, and so many bands that i've worked with and i'm like you're just stringing riffs together that gets that works for a while but i gotta open the window it's hot today in la where are you uh
1: so i it's it's definitely not hot here i'm uh, in milwaukee wisconsin and i think it's uh uh-huh. cur- currently it's a toasty uh let's see twenty. Oh, it's oh it is to it's 21 degrees right now so this is this is a regular heat wave from what we've been used to but I'm i'm from oakland california uh it's originally
0: 21 here too but 21 celsius (laughs) yeah it's gonna say it
1: depends it depends on which which unit of measurement you're using exactly (laughs) uh so uh, well you hit on something kind of that i wanted to talk to you about is is that was there original conceit of when you started helmet up were you like yeah drop tuning is a thing this is going to be a band that does drop tuning because you like put it together like old school style right you like I think it was like a Village Voice ad or something along those lines, you know. Which yeah, yeah. For the younger listeners, there were these things called print magazines, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could but did you have yeah. that, that that in mind of like, hey, you know, I'm gonna, you know, let's try let's try this and use this as a vehicle to see what, where this goes at, or did it kind no, of follow no, form?
0: I just uh, I had written some songs on the you know when I joined Band of Susans, Robert Poss had a big influence on me. He- sure. Uh, He's like, this is distortion. And I go, and I had a little MXR, I still have it here somewhere, um, uh, distortion uh, pedal a million years ago from the 70s. Um, But I just, I didn't, it was like, I was got into jazz and the distortion kind of went out the window for, you know, 10 years. Um, And he's like, this is distortion. You can layer it and you can get feedback and, you know like feedback was a bad thing right it's like no feedback is a good thing yeah, feedback's right. awesome <laughs> yeah you can you you, know, you can shape it and like oh wow that's great um so i i started i uh robert said this is how i do a page i have a four track and a drum machine and a little the SM 57 in front of my little amp and and i come up with parts and then you can multi-track and i go wow this is you know, mind blowing, and I was in living up in Harlem, up in Dominican Harlem at the time, on a uh, 141st between uh, Broadway and Riverside, and the one of the greatest crack neighborhoods in all of New York. We they had a you can you can you can look it up. 1988, I think it was. There was a bust. Um, uh, uh they busted all the crack houses in the city one was in i think brownsville and one and one was our little square up there i heard gunfire all the time and i saw the kids with the 15 year olds driving jeeps you know delivering crack and stuff and uh but uh yeah i'm up there in harlem and all this shit going on and um i started writing songs inspired by robert and by just wanting to write songs and i brought them to robert Robert said, "These are really cool. They're not right for band of Susans." So then I just decided I'm going to have to start my own band. That's when I left. Um, and I didn't have a, a. All I wanted to do was write, you know, write songs and do music that was at the time when you could listen to the early Helmet stuff, like Shirley MacLaine and Geisha to Go. Uh, Geisha to Go is kind of like me going. You can play not only one but two or three time signatures yeah. simultaneously. Geisha to Go has got a riff in three four, drums in four four, and a riff in five four. You know, it's like da 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 So it's like I can do two of them with my hands, you know, but I can't do the the five four one. And so that was kind of an intellectual exercise, and you know, a song written about those late night commercials. On um, you know the Robin Bird Show, Channel Twenty Three in New York, you could see boobs and strippers. <laughs> it was always you know awesome to have like, girls for free, you know. And uh, then they'd have dudes, and you'd be like, "Okay, I gotta go get another beer." Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty funny. Uh, Robin Bird, what a legend. David Yao stayed at my house, and he was he was fascinated that you could turn the TV on and see boobs. He's yeah. like, "I'm like, yeah, Channel Twenty Three, man." <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, uh, so that was the lyrical content. So I was kind of getting information from all of this. But then um, uh, Shirley McLean was very, very much a star by Husker Du. Um, that kind of like you know, and Stanier really loved Husker Du as well. Um, so those were kind of early influences. I happened to be walking home one night when I moved from Harlem down to Stuyvesant Town. A friend of mine had an apartment there, and I was so I moved in uh, to her spare room. Um, and the repetition riff got stuck in my head, mm-hmm. and I picked up the guitar, and the low note was an octave below that. Uh, I thought I have the amp on. Oh, it's the vine pedal. I have all this shit. I'm, I'm patching and repatching, trying to find this noise. So it was, it was uh, it, it, the note went below the low E on the guitar. So, so I had to. So I was like, well, if I tune a string down, I can get that note. And this whole thing opened up. I could play this really powerful riff that was a you know a power chord with one with one finger. And it was um, for some reason nobody had really been doing it. Sabbath tuned down. Um, Bruce Gilbert from Wire told me he played in drop D tuning, and I was like, ah, it's too much work. I have to relearn the entire <laughs> instrument. <laughs> then when, once the kind of once I had that revelation and that riff got stuck in my head it wasn't too much work. What it did is it freed me from sounding like Cusker do and Wire and Gang of Four and Killing Joke and all the bands I was trying to rip off. Um, it freed me from that. And so I was hearing, you know, uh, the, the riffs on song, the motifs the that, and since I listened to shit ton of jazz and I listened to a shit ton of classical music and I studied all that music, that music was kind of part of my, my, um, my musical fabric, I think, you know, so I would hear, I mean, I listened to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you know, I mean, easily 50 times, probably more, um, you know, and then, you know, not to mention the Ninth Symphony and the third, and you know, and the sixth, the underrated sixth and the fourth and the first two are amazing. You know, you just you get into the seventh is my all time favorite, you know, um, that becomes kind of part of your, you know, I'm not sitting around trying to write Beethoven riffs. I'm trying to write rock riffs, but it's right. in your it's in your. <laughs> You know, I think I, that's why I encourage, I'm doing the School of Rock class, songwriting recording class with kids in St. Louis. And I try to encourage them. I go, it's great that you love Steve Vai. It's great that you love the Pixies. It's great, but but listen to, you know, like School of Rock is so good about getting kids to learn. Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, um, you know, the Ramones. They, they, they got them learning a, a lot of styles of, of music. And um, and that's why I say, listen, just listen, listen, listen. Even if you Green Day's your favorite band, you got to listen to something besides Green Day. Right. You know what I mean? Just yeah. listen to other music. You know. And I I understand when you're a teenager. Like for me, there, Led Zeppelin was it. I was like, everybody sucks compared to Led Zeppelin. And I was like, ah, well, Stevie Wonder's actually pretty good. I like him. I, I like Stevie Wonder. It's very different. It's not as good as Zep, but it's very it's very good. You know. And you so you you get, you know, the more you go through music and you start playing, and you're like, God, I really like the Allman Brothers too, that's really cool. And your mind starts to open up. You don't have to, you know, but when you're 13, it's like, everyone sucks except for my favorite band,
1: (laughs) Right. Some people never advance beyond that, unfortunately, too. That's, you know, I think the majority
0: of these people, I'm so fascinated by this culture of thumbs up and thumbs down. Um, I did these videos, a couple videos for the Helmet songs To not just promote my lessons, to because fans have been asking me for years, and when Dennis from Proton asked me to do it, I go great. It's really fun, and I and and David's like oh 50,000 views, and my manager it's like 50,000 views, people like it or whatever, and he's like and I'm like there's a couple of thumbs down. I'm like what 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 did I do wrong? Is there something they don't? And then (laughs) I then my friend my friend Johnny Tempesta sends me this really heart wrenching, amazing, inspiring video about this. Uh, model, I, I believe her name is uh, Lauren Wasserman. I, it's uh, uh, but that got toxic so- shock syndrome from tampons, and she lost Ooh. both her legs. Beautiful girl, ma- supermodel, and lost both her legs. Like p- p- women die from this. Is something as men? We I didn't even know this existed. I'm, I'm
1: familiar it existed, um, but I hadn't heard that particular story. It, it's cr-
0: it's incredibly sad that one this Congresswoman was saying they, they do more research for safety of coffee filters than they do for these tampons that women are inserting into their bodies. Um, Anyway, so there was a Vogue magazine made a little movie about it Um, and I was, was, you know, crying, choked up, just like, this is inspiring. This kid went to New York, she's back in modeling, whatever. Some douchebags gave it a thumbs down and I was like, (laughs) okay, so this has nothing to do whatsoever with this incredible emotional powerful you know story it's like some some dickwad is sitting around and I'm just like fuck you like give me your passive aggressive bullshit so it's like it cracks me up thumbs up thumbs down you know <laughs> like, or you buy something you buy something on Amazon and they're like what do you think of your door stoppers
1: yeah I don't know like, it stops the door it's fine
0: yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, it's it's the greatest great. door stopper I've ever bought in my life. Like I don't know. And really, it's and I s- it really—it's ice cube tray.
1: Really makes yeah. ice cubes. You know, I, what am I supposed to say here?
0: <laughs> I got I got my studio window tinted, and the guys are great. They were fast. They did a great job. It changed the entire you know vibe in the room, like you know, for the heat for the gear or whatever. And I wrote, so I I wrote a review on Yelp or whatever, and then they email me every month. Can you write a review on Google? Can you write (laughs) it?
1: Makes Uh, makes you wish that you'd never done even stepped on the internet in the first place. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You don't want to have anybody do anything because you have to write a review about it or give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I'm like, so I and it's really funny because I go all the way back to I was talking to um, uh, a guy yesterday did an interview yesterday and I was talking about that first bad review and the band starts we're honest we're just trying to do something that we're interested in right like we didn't we felt like it didn't exist in new york city we right. love sonic Youth. we love live skull Rat r we were friends with surgery and uh uh you know unsane and and are all you know honeymoon killers we play shows all, all these bands but we nobody was doing what we wanted to do we wanted some something heavier, more aggressive. You know, there was Prong, was in, you know in that world, but but it didn't have the kind of minimalist... Uh, yeah, that was more
1: typically know. metal. It didn't come from uh, like there was a certain thing with with Helmet, and I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about uh, Bronca, yeah, and if, if working with Glenn Bronca kind of uh, led you to spark some new five. ideas for composition and stuff.
0: One of my top five influences, no no question about it. Kind of overlooked early on because I because people were familiar with him, but um, some some uh, an incredibly astute A and R guy from A and M Records who signed Soundgarden and tried to sign Helmet. I forget his name off the top of my head. He goes, "I hear Led Zeppelin, I hear Cashmere, and I go, 100% correct." You know, but people don't hear that because it's like I said. So, some guy came, just uh, was in a, uh, he was a customer of mine at the bar when I was still bartending, and he said, "He said, ac is your favorite band." It's like I don't hear it, and I and I'm, I'm like. <laughs> well yeah i mean you can't fucking do acdc nobody can doesn't just... mean
1: you're trying to sound like acdc yeah but i mean if you think of the economy of well, motion of like what malcolm young did in that band uh you know and and just the the, the way that A perfect example to me tim from silkworm just brought up like if you listen to back in black he plays like the same thing three different ways and that's like that's a stretch for ACDC, but like, but it's so good, and it works so well within the context of the song that it really makes you think about it as a constituent, like a piece of the vehicle moving forward, rather than like you know, oh, okay, this is the the trappings of what happens uh, when you play it this way. And and I, when I think of a band being compared to ac I always hope they don't sound like ac I just hope they have that same economy of motion. <laughs> <laughs> It, it can't you know you can't
0: i mean the closest thing is when rick rubin produced the cult and the Cult, and billy started writing you know um malcolm riffs or whatever you know right. but it's a completely different vocal style two great singers obviously um you know completely different but it's there's there's no question you go like Fast, Guy and ac I, I wasn't really familiar with the cult and johnny tempesta who was in helmet um you know after 3 years came to me for with tears in his eyes and he said i got this opportunity to play in this band i've always wanted to play in you know and you know and and the bottom line is that pay me like 10 times what you pay me. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, I do it and I'm like, I'm like, you go, man, take it. Of course you take the gig. And I go, so what's it, what's the music like? And he said, it's kind of like ACDC. And I'm like, Whoa, fucking, Hey, I got to check it out. And I was like, this is not like ACDC. It's like, okay. it's very different, <laughs> but it's like, you know, they do uh, have, I, they do good. have one song. I saw right. them.
1: I saw them once was easy top. And I, I must confess I wasn't, I wasn't very familiar. And yeah, I, I, but my friend was, and I elbowed him. I was like, "Are they playing an ac cover?" And they're like, "No, no, that's one of theirs." But there, there's like a couple tunes that like definitely are mining similar territory. I mean, it's not like Accept or something, but it's like they're mining similar territory. I was like, "Okay, I, that's, that's yeah." Know.
0: And I, you know, and I, I think when people will talk about influence, or people say like, "I don't hear jazz in your music," I'm like, "Really? That's shocking!" Because to me, it's straight up bebop. Like, you know, and yeah. you're like, "Jeez." And it's like this is music. Here's a song. What comprises a, a, a song? Melody, harmony, rhythm, form or the structure, and text, words. Those, so you absorb those influences, whether you love Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan, or John Lennon and Paul McCartney, or um, or Robert Plant and and and, um, and Bond. You know. Those, you know, all, those are your lyric influences, you listen to singers, I remember trying to sing along with Stevie Wonder, you know, incredible yeah. singer, and trying to sing along with, you know, whatever, The Beatles or whatever, and and so these things, you know, then you're playing guitar, and you're listening to your transcribing or your, you know, John Coltrane saxophone solo, or you're figuring out the lick from, you know, from um, uh, Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin or whatever, it's like these, you know, you don't. Like what makes a great songwriter and a great musician is someone that absorbs these influences and it it, it and turns it you know uh, it, uh, runs it through their own filter and you come up with your own
1: yeah, bad, yeah. Bad,
0: <laughs> bad, your own <laughs> vocabulary. I mean that 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 can get lost. I was talking to um, uh, Gwen Stefani's bass player uh, Miko. We had coffee years ago, and she's like, "You can't compare people to you to." To you, Paige, because I was like, yeah, this band doesn't seem that original to me. It's kind of derivative. She's like, you can't compare people to yourself because your thing is very much in its own kind of world, you know, that that hadn't, you know, like, and it's like you can hear influences from Zepp and Sabbath and ACDC to, you know, I think you can hear jazz influences because who plays, who plays idiotic solos like me, you know, like, <laughs> like a combination of you know Robert Paz's and Casper Brodsmann noise and feedback and, and and EQ manipulation and then diminished scales or al- altered dominant scales or, or and, you know or Mike Stern pentatonics moving you know up on the tritone on the flat you know like just weird shit, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, but it's in there, you know, you can because hear Because it's coming in you know.
1: from, from your particular worldview and from how you processed all yeah. of these things. And, and uh, you know, yeah. I, something that comes up on this show a decent amount is, is even, you know, somebody may be trying to emulate or, like, learn something someone else did and then, like, accidentally stumbling on, oh, that's kind of cool, that's different. And, like, it being something totally new and unique just in the uh, process of trying to, you know, to either replicate something or get towards something uh, that pre- was previously existing. I think,
0: I think it's either David Byrne or Tina Weymouth uh, talked about that. We were trying to be James Brown. <laughs> like, right. you know,
1: you're like <laughs> right, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> boy, that didn't really work out, you know, but but
1: I'm kind of glad you that, didn't cuz what you did was pretty great. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> but we have one of the most important, influential, amazing bands in the history of pop music because of you you're trying to sound like James Brown, you know.
1: Well, so then uh, there have been some notable helmet covers and things, too. And I think about a song, like since we're talking about these early days right now, like a song like Sinatra, right? Which is which for me is a standout to on uh, Strap It On. There's a cover of it by uh, by Deftones. And I mean, wh- how do, what's what's that like? What's that when you if you hear somebody covering one of the tunes? I mean, obviously, I would imagine it's probably, you know, very flattering, but like can you hear it as music? Like what's, what's the, it's interesting. A friend,
0: uh, coincidentally, a friend of mine just sent me last night, sent me Lamb of God doing in the meantime.
1: And, uh, he goes, there's nothing,
0: they, they can't cover this song. Nobody can do it justice. I go, and I go, actually, I like it. It's, they're doing their own thing with it. Double kick drum, different vocal vibe. They changed the riff a little bit. Um, uh, which, I don't like because the riff is the the riff is the riff, and the, the idea that you create this flow, uh, you know, against a against a groove, you know, I mean, these time signatures kind of locking together. But I but I like that they were daring and tried it rather than just doing it. because the Soulfly cover of in the meantime was a little closer to the to the original. But of course, it's never going to sound like the band that you're paying tribute to. You know, and it shouldn't. It should sound like like <laughs> right. I love I, I, I love that. There's I have twenty-two somewhere in here I have the uh, helmet tribute album it has got twenty-two bands or something on it. And there's like guys doing like Casio keyboard versions of you know, fucking like street crab or whatever. <laughs> right, you know, like, exactly, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I I I love it. That the interesting thing about the Deftones, that one comes up so much and I still because I'm lame, I haven't heard I'm gonna look it up actually. Uh, I still haven't heard it, and I'm friends with Steph and Chino. I know Chino; he's told me that you know, he said you you had an influence on me as a singer and a lyricist yeah. and whatever. Um,
1: what well, they they did yeah. like uh, they did a Drive Like Jehu cover. They did. They they I mean they're kind of like a band that they're they have, they have their niche and they have the notoriety and you know it's they like yeah paying homage to their influences and that's something that yeah you know okay like, 2005
0: yeah. yeah I was gonna say it's about 15 I'll, 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 years ago. I'll, I can't unless there's a transcription somewhere of the bridge chords, that' would be, be pretty amazing if they figured those chords out. You can figure out the root movement, the bass, the bass movement, but um, those chords because it's a, it's a different tuning, you know they, you can, that's easy enough to suss out like um, you know it's, it's like drop D but uh, 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 drop D but then this string is tuned up at minor third. So you get that unison kind of tension, and then the yeah. half step. When you play the shape of a major third on the top two strings, you get a half step when when the strings are tuned like that. But um, yeah, it's fun. I'm 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 you know like uh, I think it's great. I, I you know I think it's cool that people are, are if they if they felt inspired enough because I know the, every song that we've ever covered, I felt inspired, incredibly inspired by the artist. And the song, and I wanted to do it. We're actually coincidentally releasing um, a, a four seven-inch box set of covers that we did. Really? Um, we were actually, yeah, we did, um, I was. We, we recorded it with the um, Dead to the World sessions. And one thing led to another, to the label. And, you know, we're going to release it. No, the label's going to release, you know, all this stuff. And finally, the label's like, yeah, we'll release it. Um, so we just mixed and mastered it and the artwork's done and that's going to come out. Um, uh, we, we were hoping May, but maybe June cause everything's in slow motion because yeah. of the pandemic.
1: COVID. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, but, it's, uh, it's everybody's yeah, extra band member right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did, uh, we did another Beatles cover. I always wanted to do, I'm only sleeping. So we did that. Um, and we did, I did, I used these guitars, uh, um, that, that, have have a this thing called a sustainer pickup in them. It's a, a Fernandez-designed this picker. It's an infinite sustain pickup. It's oh, so you nice. can do. I like, use it on a lot of movie stuff. It's Alan Hoover invented it. It's called a sustainiac. But I, his his I had have one. It was it was very complex and difficult to use. And this Fernandez sustainer is really simple. Um, so you can so I did these layers of kind of it's sort of orchestral. Um, uh, you know, string type parts. I, I use it on on every movie I do because you like on heat or whatever. It's like do the do the cello parts, you know, and so you can play, you know, infinite sustain.
1: Well, and um, and I, I want to, I definitely want to keep us on track, but that is something I want to talk about when you're doing compositional stuff because a lot of times people think that they, you know, it almost has to be like overwritten, like you know, oh, it has to be you know some real heavy orchestral thing here and there, and like sometimes like some of the best stuff is just. You know single note or like you know oh it, it bends here and like you know it, it invokes an emotion or something along those lines uh and have you felt that you know with stepping into that world and you know uh, exercising that part of the brain maybe like have you have you learned uh, anything along those lines versus you know your typical band person who's composing music for you know live performance and recording, versus serving the thing like the cnn thing with the with the reporters and you know in perilous situations
0: so yeah yeah no it's it was the, the first one i i did was a movie called chicago cab um uh mary Sebolsky and john centauri directed it and uh it starred this guy this great actor named paul dylan and uh john cusack was in it and julian moore and uh, julian Anderson, and uh one of my uh, uh, michael um it Michael Shannon, they, they, one of my favorite actors, he was in that Waco I Oh the FBI yeah, he great, guy. Man.
1: he's great man, he's a badass yeah,
0: he's, It was his formative years, he's amazing, in this, he's amazing in this movie, it's a really really good movie yeah. and uh, I felt really fortunate that they hired me to score it and I was on the back of the tour bus with a an Akai drum machine and a four track and then flying to flying to LA from Boise and flying to from Detroit to New York on days off to work and um um, so I was the first one and I found I went through the movie scene by scene with the directors as you do. And they were like, wow, we didn't even think about that, you know, uh, you know, that motivation or that sort of mood in, in there. Because I went, I really got into it and kind of went through every scene and I go, this is what I'm feeling here. But this is emotional, but you don't want it modeling because it's it's also, you know, and, and you have to you're 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 creating music that you know it goes beyond you know it goes beyond just like i don't even have that you know it's like okay here's oh it's sad or mother's like happy you know what i mean it's right. like it goes so <laughs> far beyond that because it's like and i find i'm i since i don't have um and this is not pat myself on the back. It's just, it's a, it's a weakness of mine. I don't have the modeling. I don't, I can't, like if something's super cheesy and like I said, and I've, on the films subsequent films i worked on you know, with a co-composer, Patrick Cruz, who I'm doing the CNN thing for and Kissing Booth, um, I said, you have to do all the romantic shit. I, they're holding hands and kissing across the table. I'm just like, you know, and,
1: and it, that's, that's um, not your Bailey yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm a little cynical in love. I'm not cynical when it comes to music, but I think I'm, you know, in the music business, I could be a little cynical. But I just, I, I feel like this is this is so rigged, and I just don't want to see it. I don't want to see, you know, because we, <laughs> as many of us, we've all suffered through divorce and breakups and heartbreak, and I'm like, I, I just, it's just too much. How do you, how do you, you know, I, I. I write about it with, after the pain is passed, I write about it with humor in my lyrics. And, and you know, it's like the sarcasm mostly, you know? But, See You Dead, the poor girl, she doesn't speak to, any, to me anymore. When she found out I wrote See You Dead about her, it's uh, Kate. That people thought that was, a, that was like, oh, that record was about Winona Ryder. I'm like, hadn't even dated her yet. No, nope, it wasn't about her oh, yeah. at all. None of the songs were about her. Um, the song Monochrome is about her. So that was, little, and that's after we broke up, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it makes you a better songwriter doing film music. There's no question about it. And it's it's not about the technology. I think so many people get trapped in the technology. I'm mm-hmm. like, I need to do a plug-in and I need this and I need that. It's like, no, it's not about that. You can have the, like I did um, Chicago Cab on a shoestring budget with uh, my my ex-wife had a farfisa organ which was an amazing
1: thing i love those yeah
0: yeah i got a i got a couple of harmonicas and played played a very helmety riff on the harmonica <laughs> and played, played a very helmety riff on the bass and i did i did all the instruments myself and then uh, programmed the drum machine and then got my great friend and amazing uh, engineer producer drummer warden tears to play live drums on it um, and it was great the vibe works perfect it's a really cool um, and um, uh, it's a really cool soundtrack i'm very proud of it you know but it's you learn you learn from that and that's so you're you know obviously obviously everything you do musically sort of influences uh, every, every everything else you do you know like the i mean do am i a, a good songwriter because I have a master's degree in jazz guitar no but it contributed to to my harmonic and melodic knowledge at as an improviser and somehow you know some lesson i got from howard roberts and gary hagberg my mentor um is is making me a better songwriter you know what i mean and, and i was forced to the jazz music inspires me because you can play the same song i just did a version uh sling tv has a pilot and i just did a version of beautiful love oh whoa. which is on on the betty album yeah and listen to that version of, of beautiful love and listen to the one i played last week and that song has transformed over the 30 years or whatever. Because I still play the song, but I play it completely differently than I did in 1993 or whatever. And um, that's what that's. I love that spirit of jazz. You can take a standard set of chord changes, and you can you can you know. I just one of my students is, is learning about the cycle of fifth, and I so I was like, well, here's a great song so i go but you can use do tritone subs and that you go right right (laughs) whatever but you you're constantly trying to think about different ways to um to re-navigate chord changes and you're improvising with my my ex-father-in-law is like well you know you're just jazz is stuff that you practice and whatever. And he's like Robbie Krieger's a better guitar player than Wes Montgomery, and I'm like, bite your tongue first of all. I go.
1: <laughs> first of all, how and dare guy, you? I love, Secondly,
0: <laughs> I love love Rob Robbie Krieger, but no one on the face of planet Earth is ever going to be a better guitar player than Wes was. Um, and I, I said, you of course you have to practice. You have to learn the chord changes. You have to learn, you know. Uh, scales, arpeggios, uh, intervals, you know, rhythmic figures. I mean, I know some people don't subscribe to that. They're like, don't learn scales. And I'm like, well, but then you taught me to learn this four note pattern. That's four of the five notes in a pentatonic scale. Why not add the fifth note and learn it in all five positions, six if you count the open position. Why not just learn it and, and have, a, have a, an understanding of your fretboard, you know? And, and so when you're improvising, you're hearing something, you can find it while you're spontaneously composing, and it's like, it's that's that to me is in the, that spirit is part of helmet. I mean, it's it's when I'm improvising certain songs like, give it, I'm gonna play that solo because I have that little lick that I play, the little, uh, that little that goes into the solo. You know, it's like this thing that. start the solo on that because that's where like, that's where it goes you know you know yeah um then after that and you know I like to do this I superimpose a B flat major triad over the key of D minor bluesy kind of right you know so so but then after that I mean any, any, Anything goes, you know what I mean? I'm, I can do a combination of, of a Dorian thing and a pentatonic thing and whatever, so it's because I'm following my my ears and my heart, and my brain today, right now, you know? And so, so other songs like, uh, I think, like uh, where the solo is written, it's, a, it's you know... It's like, just uh, as much
1: a part of the music as uh, like a bridge or something along those lines.
0: And, and, and actually, I teach... The guitar solo should be just as much a part of the music as every other part of the music. Even if you're improvising, make it a a musical section. People like, get the guitar solo for the sake of the guitar solo. People are like, we don't do any solos in our music. I'm like, fucking the Beatles did and ACDC did and Led Zeppelin did. That's all I need to hear. (laughs) Those are three of the greatest fucking fans that ever were in history. So so take your no solos and
1: shove it up your ass. Like I mean I think of like Youth of America is, by the Wipers and it's like that's a guitar solo you can sing. You can sing that guitar solo, right? And it's like okay, it's a that's musical. musical.
0: <laughs> it's a musical section of the song. And yeah. but you know, but there is there are two schools of thought. There are the guitar players that just like just want to hear the flash and the sass and the I practiced this so I'm going to show you what I practiced. Well, how about forgetting about that and writing writing it into the song. A helmet's like like Rick Nielsen was amazing at, you know, an eight-bar guitar solo that comes out and it goes, boom, and punches you in the face, and you're like, whoa. It's a great part of the yeah. song. Is he, is he Does he have the technical facility that Steve Vai has? No. But I love his guitar playing, and I love right. his songs. But, and the song both.
1: is there. And the, that's the thing is, like, good parts is, and good songs, thanks. ideally that's, you'll have both, but... You know if you're gonna only that's, have one yeah he's
0: those cheap trick the first time i saw him on don Kirshner's rock concert with my mom late at night i went out and bought uh in color black and white the next day like those cheap that that's another band that like people don't hear a cheap trick influence in helmet but they absolutely check you know influenced me that this is approach to solos the songs obviously you know and and even um, the use
1: of rhythm. If you listen to like a song like "He's a Horror" or something, like you know, it's got that really sharp, succinct, like you know, hits like Gang of Four style, but like done in like a rock context. And it's it's bit, uh, bit, you know, I would
0: say a bit. Big Eyes comes to mind. For some oh reason God!
1: Of. What a great tune, yeah. And,
0: and,
1: and you're just like that stuff. So
0: you you soak it up as a 16 year old, and you're like, yes. And I, I think that's. That's the thing. Like people mistake a you know a solo's a
1: bad thing
0: because that's guitar that's guitar hero flash. It's like yeah whatever man. Listen to, I thought the solo on something, is one of the most amazing. Well, first of all, one of the most amazing songs ever written, and I love that Sinatra covered it. And said I like to shout out to Mr. Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, <laughs> actually. That, the other guy wrote that yeah, one. Yeah, uh, just, You can shout him out
1: all you want. They didn't write it. <laughs> have, you, have, you heard of, have you heard? about that? He does a lot thing. He shouts out
0: to Lennon and McCartney. I'm like, yes, George Harrison's song, but that's cool. Don't that worry that like
1: it. sums up most of George Harrison's professional career right there. But yeah, like just like you know, being the most yeah. badass guy of what he is, but sort of like, oh, you've got these like supernova songwriters that you know change like the world of music like next to you, and it's like. Oh, and it doesn't diminish anything he's done, but it, but it's, it was so funny to me. He's, he's a, it's the only
0: band in the history of rock music that will have four geniuses in it. And, and, and people that have the debate about whether Ringo's the great drummer or not, I'm like, go home, do your homework. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. It, there's, a, uh, there's a great guy on um, YouTube that, cause I have, I've had these drunken arguments with friends before. Um, and uh, this, uh, like, like, oh, well, you know, Lennon said Ringo's not even the great best drummer in the Beatles. And this guy this guy says, first of all, that never happened. His name is uh, George Rab, H-R-A-B, and he has a video called The Genius of Ringo. And this guy is, I'm assuming, a professor of music somewhere. He's a good drummer in his own right. He goes through and he analyzes Ringo, just a handful of Ringo drum parts. He talks, and it's like, everyone needs to see this because tomorrow never knows is is not if if Pete best is playing that that song is half as cool it's totally different and, you know, yeah you know, yeah you know come together Say, you know fucking uh, I, he brought up one of my all-time favorite fills um, help me if you can i'm feeling down got, 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 straight eight yeah. swing feel and straight eight fill <laughs> I'm, I'm like yes, thank you very much. Someone noticed that, you know, and it's like, um, but anyway, yeah, George is obviously a genius and, uh, and, but you're sitting next to two of the greatest geniuses that, you know, that ever lived. So it's kind of, it's kind of tough, but it definitely doesn't diminish. I mean, something, George's solo on, on let it be, I just did a cover of let it be for uh, ProgressHumanity.org. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's a it's a, a group in Washington DC trying to end global conflict. Among among other things they created a country for pygmies in the uh, Congo. Oh wow. Who are Yeah, they're held as slaves and and it's good luck yeah. to cannibalize. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. It's I I yeah, I'm a little familiar with some of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they asked me to do Let It Be and I said in a heartbeat, of course, and so I, of course I learned George's solo and and we we do it in a different key cuz I have a, a lower voice, the C, C major is like, yeah.
1: Let it be, let it be. yeah. It
0: like, so I found, I found my key and it turned out, they're not great. But just my solo is inspired by his solo. That solo, I mean, is incredible I and mean, it's beautiful. I use my telly because he did his on a telly. You know, I use my uh, donut. Uh, don't tell ESP, but this is a Nash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, nobody, uh, nobody listens to this show will nark you out and neither will I. <laughs> uh, no, they're, they're, no Matt, they're, they're,
0: uh, I have such a good relationship with them, and Matt knows. We know like, everybody is not going to only use ESP guitars. And,
1: you worked uh, so. with them a while, but, too, right? I mean, that, that's that been like a... Their,
0: I think next to George Lynch, I'm their oldest and longest endorser. Yeah, 30, 30 years at least. 1989 was uh, this guitar, was my first one. Um, I just had it... Uh, uh, put back to to drop D because I was touring with it in drop C, and I decided it's not touring anymore. So this is my home studio guitar for. Uh, so it's the it's the original. This is for 1989. And, and that's what you.
1: It's sort of like a. Uh, what would you call that red? That reddish. Um, it's kind of like a. Um, they, they call they call it
0: a magenta. A magenta. magenta. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, I call I used to call it fuchsia because when I. <laughs> Eighties, when I when I was a bank teller, I had a fuchsia silk skinny tie that I wore to the bank.
1: <laughs> fuchsia is a hell of a word, it's, and it's one of those ones that's like, wow. If you read yeah. that and you were like English as a second language, you would not probably know how to it, it, say that word.
0: Fuchsia and teal were popular colors during that era. You know. Right. It's like I saw when Frankie Bello was in Helmet. I we found I found this postcard of Anthrax dressed in those those colors, like shoulder pads, knee pads, tights, the whole thing. And I was like, What the fuck? I go, Oh my god, this is awful. And he's like, Hey, whatever it takes to sell records. And I'm like, Really?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, and it. And it's funny that that went kind of unknown by history for a long time, and then it kind of came out, and people were like, Wait, what? Really? okay hilarious. <laughs> hilarious and you know you know pantera
0: uh, also like they they used to dress up i guess with you know like like poofy hair and the yep. whole
1: the the teased thing. hair and like uh yeah the whole nine yards
0: <laughs> i was fortunate that, i think it was you know,
1: a I, diamond diamond daryl if i remember correct instead of dime bag daryl
0: instead of dime bag yeah it was actually with um Uh, The cover of Guitar World that I'm on from 1992 or 3 or whatever, there's a picture of Dime in the corner, and it says Diamond Daryl. He was still referred to as Diamond Daryl by then. Which isn't the worst
1: rock and roll name. I mean, it's just, (laughs) you know, it's like...
0: I know, I like Diamond Dave, Mike Diamond. I like um, the singer from um, uh, Steel Panther, which used to be called
1: uh, uh, Rock School or... or, Oh, uh... yeah. Oh God! Um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, let me. But his name is
0: Ralph in real life. I met him. He's hilarious. Um, I, I used to see him at the Viper Room when they were called Rock School, I think, or Rock. Um, and but his, I think his name is Diamond. Was Diamond something? Something Diamond? Mike Diamond? No, I don't know. That's 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 Mike D. Metal. I'm it's Metal
1: that. School, apparently. Uh, metal School. Yeah. Metal
0: School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Absolutely amazing band.
1: Well, so then, uh, if you can talk a little bit about that time period when you first got going in New York, you mentioned, you know, uh, the bands that were around, uh, surgery, kind of doing this new kind of, again, it's weird to think about, and for the younger listeners, there was a time that, like, the drop D world of Songcraft wasn't <laughs> wasn't as prevalent as as it is now. Like, it was something where, like, you know, this, this was a unique thing. There was, like, you know, like, Melvin's were, you know, doing their own thing with it, like, a few other bands, but... Like, did, did it go over uh, at first? Like, was it something that people, like, latched on to it? Because, again, and when you when you you were nice enough to talk in depth about some of the more, like, advanced time signature stuff and things along those lines. But I, I feel like punk rock, for lack of a better term, has, like, a weird relationship with Prague that, like, there's an in-and-out-of-love period that seems to happen every four or five years. And um, yeah. what was that like at the time? Did it take a while for it to gestate and for people to kind of dig into it, or did it... Um. Take-
0: Kind of, kind of both like there were, uh, I'll never forget a show we played in Philly opening for Antecene. And um, I remember people down front, like going like like <laughs> Holding like, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're too loud. And they're like, and then this girl goes, you're not very good. And I'm like, thank you. Um, and But there was, there were, uh, uh, I think about uh, Baltimore, obviously New York City, Boston, Baltimore, DC. Uh, and, um, and Philly too. Those because we were an East Coast band from New York, so those we would play those places, and we would we saw our, our uh, kind of following grow in those places first. So I think you know because those are big cities that have tons of music and a lot of bands and stuff. They were kind of open, a little bit more more open. But we, we would, I mean, we still play shows. You know, and on the last tour. Uh, uh, not the 30 by 30 cuz that was a helmet tour but the yeah. last festival festival run we did uh, would have been summer before last one. when when what did we used to tour? I think we did.
1: Um, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> remember remember when I, that was I, a thing? I, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was dreaming that. I was dreaming that I was on tour. Um but we I, we'll play a festival and and, and we still get fucking blank Stairs you know, which yes. is like like they love the bands on the bill that we influenced, but they that, <laughs> but they're just looking at us like they got where's their long hair and cool show, like they look stupid,
1: you know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, that comes like back a- to like Beavis and Butthead, right? Where, like, what they're like, oh, that's that drummer just looks like a regular guy, you wouldn't even know he was cool or something along those lines. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. what they say, but it's so funny, <laughs> yeah.
0: I, 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 talked about this before too like uh i I think he regrets saying this but ted my friend ted parsons from prong when helmet had all that success um you know on mtv or whatever people people were attacking us you know and it's it's it's, gets it's really weird to see like a scene turn into this thing where we just were doing what we wanted to do right and then we fortunate that 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 it you know it caught on and people started following us but he said something about us being our look was a marketing concept and i was just like you know i've seen <laughs> i've we're friends you know friends with tommy and mike kirkland and ted and i love prong we, we, they, we, they toured with us years ago and, and people just think they say things that like it's it, i don't know it's, it's it's if you if you if you do what you love and you have a a modicum of success, people want to shoot you down. and I learned that early on, I think I was about to say, when I got to London and I read the first bad review of Meantime, and I was just like, because everything was like, these guys are great, they're so cool, it's different, they're different, the music's cool, it's unique. And then I get, and uh, we're at the label in East uh, East West in London, and some guys saying like, this guy's uh, family sucks, his mother sucks, he sucks, this is terrible. Like, and I was just like, whoa, and then I realized, I realized, like Hemingway, Hemingway said this, that critics have to uh, have to create a, a, a brand. They have to create a reputa- reputation for themselves. So, so they, you know, like I, I read a review of a show we did at uh, uh, Underworld, Camden Underworld. Bruce Gilbert from Wire was there, where there were. More people on stage than the band. People jumping on my back. It was mayhem, utter mayhem. And uh, somebody sent me a review of the show. Said the journalist said Helmet didn't connect with the audience. <laughs> and then I said,
1: <laughs> I think connect any harder than someone's going to get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, my friend. My
0: my my friend said I know that journalist. I saw him sitting at the bar. He never went into the room. So there was the live room. There was the big double doors, oh, and there no. was the bar. They in the fucking bar you know and never came into the room to see that fucking it was mayhem yeah. i mean and i like yeah we didn't connect with the audience so it's like you have to you have to take all that stuff with the grain of salt and i think you know ted saying something hurtful like that like he you know we were friends and i loved him i love his drumming and and it just i don't know people get like so a friend of mine uh, just a, another journalist told me that sick of it all put a book out and they said that that Page Hamilton doesn't like. To, it was uh, sick of it all. I love, and I just I've talked about them a bunch because it's one of my favorite bands. We had on tour, great guys, hilarious. We had a great time with them, Armand and Craig and whatever. Um, and said, oh well, Paige Hamilton doesn't like to meet the fans or whatever." And I was like, "I'm like what? Like I sit on the front of the stage every show until the last person leaves and sign and talk yeah. and drink beer." Gauge, yeah. Like you know, I mean, but but whatever you know i've said stupid things before i said something somebody asked me about prong early on and i go i don't you know i don't listen to them i, I don't i don't care you know whatever and that's not true because i had seen them live i didn't know their music but i'd seen them live see them play, sure. And, yeah. yeah i saw them live and, and 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 later i got into them you know my drummer loved them uh spaniard uh and um so it's like you know you say stupid shit sometimes you know it's 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 uh you know, you, uh, sometimes you, some stuff's hurtful. Some people can yeah. say really hurtful stuff, but you have to, as a, as a songwriter, as a musician, a singer, a guitar player, as a leader of a band, um, I, ta- I had this conversation with Danny Korchmar, the great uh, guitarist, uh, producer who produced Billy Joel's, uh, you know, River of Dreams. He produced uh, Don Henley's solo stuff. He played with everyone from James Taylor, Joni Mitchell to, you know, you name it. Just incredibly influential guitarist. and He's a huge Helmet fan I met him uh he sought me out through our publisher we had lunch we became friends we're still friends um and he said you know you're gonna take your abuse as a band leader he said "He's with don Henley." i had live coffee with david byrne years ago when the band broke up i'm like i'm like yeah my like, all this shit that i'm reading my band says this they say that whatever he said you can't you just do what you do and don't you can't worry about people's Perception, because if someone has an agenda, and this, this this holds true for writing and making albums. If you have an agenda, then you're you're probably not going to do something that's significant or cool. If your if your agenda is I'm writing a, a I'm going to write a great riff, a great song, and some cool lyrics, and do something that I believe in and I like. The audience is doesn't exist when you're doing that. Right. They they can't. Because this is your workroom. This is your creative process. And if you're thinking about, I wonder if people are going to like this, then you're done. You know, it's like, because that's. Nope. That's not, they, they
1: def- that's not if you're thinking that way, they aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me
0: anyway. Look, yeah. I know, you know, you can go back to Motown and I know they were going like, this is going to be a hit. Yeah. Because that's what they were doing. But they have these incredible musicians, singers, songwriters, Teaming up together to just do—they were the first goal is to do something really, really cool, you know—and yeah. really, and really, and, and it connected. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. And like, so I know some people write, and their goal is just to have a hit or have people like it. And I—that's not my—that's not my goal. Maybe that's why we're not. You know, household name and as big as as big as Taylor Swift. I don't
1: know. She's a little. She's slightly cuter than me, though. I will admit. <laughs> just 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 by hair, just by hair. <laughs> just a little A little bit. Just, yeah. This is smidgen. Uh, I, yeah. I I I do want to talk a little bit about. You know, we've kind of talked around it. We talked a few things about it, but the the record meantime. Uh, so at this point, you know, helmet helmet's uh, been uh, a band for a while. You you got, got, got to. I got to. I re- got to. refill. Right back. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> page hamilton of the mighty helmet getting your refill of course you're listening to cone neutrons protonic reversal thank you so much we're gonna talk a little more with page hamilton and it should be a a pretty Sorry, great time uh no no worries uh i you know norm, normally i'll uh i'll maybe have one or two i, I kind of stopped doing that for the show for a while because i just kind of felt like it was maybe disrespectful and then it was like well Having one is not so bad, you know. Like you have a one or two. That's my.
0: It's it's a sunny Friday, you know. Yeah, five Okay. and my windows are open and and I have uh, I um.
1: You're the I guest. Less, you can I, you can drink as much as you want. It's fine. Okay, cool. I mean, for me, and this is a self-imposed thing. I'd be like, I wonder if somebody might take that as an act of like disrespect or something. And like maybe that's just a me thing, but like. Whatever. This this is. I did not mean to turn this around to my interview style and whether or not drinking is appropriate.
0: if like, someone's kind of that precious or sensitive, it's going to be kind of hard to to, to have a conversation with them in the first More place. Like I like, like I'm like yes, I drink beer and yes, I drink Budweiser and um and it's it. But you know you and you this it came, it, it, it's kind of my my, my lunch, which <laughs> is maybe maybe it's kind of pathetic, you know, because I haven't had any food yet today. So I have a beer at noon and then I have a beer at, two, you know, well, it's three. Um, so it's uh, but yeah, just I, like I feel like a, a, an interview to me is is uh, something that you owe the interviewer if they're if they're they've done their research and homework and they're there. It's that's their profession their um their their you know gift and what they're good at then you you know to, to relax and try to be honest to me it's like i used to worry about you know i used to not have filter at all now i'm gonna be like you could ask me something about a band and and if i don't like the band i'm gonna be like yeah i'm not that familiar with them <laughs> right right like, yeah <laughs> Whereas you know in 1990, 1990 I'd be like, yeah, they suck, I hate that shit you know whatever and so, but then it comes other, back to haunt you
1: later or hurt feelings for nice otherwise nice people we were like, well, that's not really what I was trying to do. Other,
0: <laughs> do. other than that when you're talking about music or me or um, my band or what I'm doing, that stuff, I just it's all I'm doing is is, is uh, relaying sort of experiences and, and trying to be honest about it. So like I, it relaxes me to have a beer. And, and I hope you know. Hopefully, it's not offensive. If there's no, little no, no. kids watching, don't don't drink beer until you're 21. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't don't do it. Uh, so so but I want to I want to talk about meantime. Yeah. So meantime, you know, you guys have been banned for a while. Uh, you you kind of worked out what it is you're doing, uh, finding your people, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of a big build. Also hitting at like right, which I have taken to calling it the uh, you know the gold rush times of independent music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you take us back to like around that time? Where you were at? Um, how those songs came together? Uh, you know, just just yeah. all of it. It's a pretty iconic record. I mean, it's a record that people still that's, come back to, much in the same way they do, uh, you know, many of the classics of that era.
0: That's that's funny. Uh, De- Decibel uh, wanted to do a classic, influential records thing on Meantime, so they interviewed me, but then they they wanted to talk to all the bandmates, and, and uh, John and Henry declined. <laughs> so it's like thanks. Hey. That's great, guys. So apparently, those guys don't think the album is, is significant, but uh, but everyone else does. Um, Gene Simmons does. So that's you know that's Gene Simmons and Tommy Lee and Nikki Six told me they you know they love it. So that's that's good enough for me. But um, uh, we the the good news is we have we have been working and and um, we had a, we got a budget. You know we uh, the, uh, when we did Strap It On. We were saving bartending tips.
1: You know, I was a bartender.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> so we went in. We did, we did, uh, we did side one. Um, uh, you know, and then a month later, saved up enough to do side two. And then the, you know, you know, kind of the stuff exploded, and we got the record deal or whatever. And Jimmy Iovine, you know, to his credit, I said, yeah, so, yeah, maybe next year at this time we'll do a record. He's like, next year. He goes, now. He goes, you write now and do the record as soon as possible. And I wasn't thinking in terms of business. I was thinking like, yeah, we got time for that, right? He's like, I think you wanted to capitalize on the excitement about yeah. uh, the band, whatever. Um, and they did an amazing job on that first uh, major label record. Um, after that, the label got so big, I think they kind of dropped the ball. That's my opinion. We be- They became like any other label. When the Interscope started out, they were hungry. They did. They. I mean, they they had. They had sold like two hundred thousand Primus records, and that's some weird ass music.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's no mean feat, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know that. We were amazed by that, and um, and and, you know, Jimmy said when he heard Unsung on the radio, you know, um, after Judas Priest song, he said it made priests sound like you know, like soft rock or whatever. I said, "Whoa, that's." (laughs) And so it was. It was definitely not. You know, it wasn't. Uh, super uh, mainstream, you know, uh, radio friendly music. So the fact that it, you know, uh, but and it was written on, completely written as all albums have have been on on our terms. One of the things that was important to me is that we had complete creative control. That means I will listen to every opinion that anyone wants to give me, but at the end of the day, it's my Yeah. Yeah. and I mean, and that's, my band works like that. John and Henry can have an idea or they can have an opinion. And I think if it's better than my idea, then we're gonna do it. I'm not I'm not gonna be like, no, nope, it has to be my idea. If Someone has a great idea, do it. You know what I mean? This is why I tried to impress upon bands I'm producing. I've just produced a band from South France and a band from Brooklyn. I have a band from Chicago now, just remote producing, which is, uh, for those of you that are interested, it's really fun and I'm really good at it. But. Um, you if someone comes in with a great idea and your ego is so big that you can't you know you can't acknowledge that because it wasn't your idea then you're hurting your music you're hurting and with Helmet, it was always about man john i had this idea for the intro to meantime it was jack dejeanette journey to the twin planet i go really? i played it this really? is amazing 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 um tune um on um uh, 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 it's Special edition, right? The, uh, Jack DeJohnette special. I haven't listened to it in 25 years, but um, and he did uh, um, Central Park West on there, the great Coltrane ballad. Um, but I've, uh, Jack DeJohnette, that idea was what I had. Stanier was not a jazz guy. He he's he arranges all his drum parts. He works everything out, and he's he's absolutely one of the great drummers, in my opinion. Oh, fantastic you know, drummer! Obviously, yeah. I'm, I'm biased, but. One of the great drummers ever. He came up with incredible, uh, incredible parts, and so he he came up with that you know that that drum thing that's incredible. I mean, it's it's like a good drum um, hook. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so so great, you know. And and um, that was recorded as a demo with Steve Albini at Chicago Recording Company. Along with FBLA two, which got redone and, and rearranged, I, I fixed the riff. I made it better.
1: Uh, yeah, I wanted um, to ask you about that because because and and is that Future Business Leaders of America? Is that the, is that the acronym, or is that acronym for yeah, no reason? Yeah, it was a
0: it was a it was a high school club um, uh, back in the '70s. Uh, uh, Future Business Leaders of of America, which I was not part of, but I thought it was funny. Um,
1: <laughs> it is. It's a very ostentatious uh, title for uh, for such an organization.
0: It's I, like really okay. actually. I've I've actually just got. I I have I have this really cool riff for the next record, and I, I I'm you know just this is the first time says, I think I'm gonna write FBLA three. I think yes. I have it. I have, I have how you go from from one to two to how I'm gonna do FBLA three. But I think I have it. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna be fucking cool. All right,
1: you heard um, it here first. FBLA three coming yeah, up. Yeah yeah. I
0: don't know why that that just occurred to me. I came up with this this FBLA-ish riff, and I'm like, FBLA 3, yes. Um, But, uh, so it'll be more about sort of, uh, you know, it's like, the the idea of that song is like Deadhead Sticker on a Cadillac kind of thing. Um, You know, Boys of Summer. Like, the the punk rockers that then become business leaders, you know, it's like, I'm so punk and cutting edge, and it's like, now I'm wearing a three-piece suit and going to work on Wall Street, or whatever. It's like, and you know, God bless them, I'm just saying, I find it funny. That rebellion kind of you know, when the real world comes in, rebellion goes away. Um, but um, so, so we did, we had done Meantime, FBLA 2, the first version, a song called Rock Messiah, which I later found out that Albini, I believe Albini and Kirk uh, from Flipside released a bootleg of it. Um, it was either Albini or someone in Chicago recording because I saw it and it was a, the pictures were done by Kirk. Um, it was us with uh, Bush and Gorbachev uh, wax figures at the World Trade Center. Uh, and it wow, was uh,
1: nice. a, pic-
0: a picture of us in front of a topless bar in Soho with our shirts off. And I'm like, that was Kirk, that photo shoot. And I go, it had to be Albini or somebody in Chicago recording. They released the bootleg because Tad, uh, Tad said, I love that song, Rock Messiah. Why don't you do that? And I go, how did you hear that? Because <laughs> there's a bootleg of it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so we had recorded, um, and, and, and the songs—some of the songs were written um, already—and then I—I I, I don't remember which ones. I obviously meantime and, and unsung, and uh, uh, FBLA two was started. Um, uh, I, I think role model was was uh, was pretty much ha- you know written, um, and uh, but other songs I'm trying to think like he feels bad, uh, better. I, I think Better was one of the last songs that I wrote. Um,
1: how about, um, uh, how about uh, Turned Out? Was that?
0: That was a long one. That, that took a while, because uh, I got that, that, that really cool, you know. Um, and I didn't know what to do with it. And then I came up with the chord. I'm not in drop tuning, but I came up with the the, the idea was uh, it, it was this idea because I had, had started to develop the helmet chords at that point, and this I just love this sound. It's like a D minor uh, se, a seven chord with the nine, a D minor nine. <laughs> Common tone thing, and then this nice tension. Right. So that's the high times, hard times. And then that uh, silly chorus, which I love.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: That, time, that, 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 that chord appears in meantime and that uh, that song I can't play it without a without dick very well but um yeah that 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 took a long time to write if I remember correctly because I wanted to do something um some uh different and uh, um I don't know why I came up with the Julie Brown thing because it was a yeah. um, <laughs> I was gonna say a, it' was, it was a really cute like woman on MTV. Oh, well, I that, remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. It <laughs> was, was called downtown Julie Brown. And, and I wasn't making fun of her. I thought she was, a, 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 you know, she was cool, a cool host. But uh, Patton, um, when we were with Faith No More, Patton started singing that in one of the Faith No More songs. He started singing uh, High Times, Hard Times, downtown Julie Brown. He changed the lyrics to one of his songs. I thought that was really funny. Um, uh, but... Uh, yeah that um it's hard for me to remember the exact sequence of of, of what where i wrote at that time uh, helmet shared a rehearsal space in uh, little italy which was uh, which was a half block um up uh, mott street one block over from this place called panini this italian restaurant which was across the street from the ravenite social club where john gotti and the, the
1: oh yeah, yeah 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 totally uh-huh oh uh, yeah
0: i ate there four or five times a week. I loved that place. Um, and I was a vegetarian at the time and they had this really good mozzarella mm-hmm. s- sandwich. Um, so I'd sit there and I'd watch those guys walking around. I knew they were mafia and I knew, I didn't know that they were, you know, I don't know what they were talking about, but they would leave the Ravenite cause it was bugged and they'd walk around the block with their gold chains and golf shirts and their black, they all had black Cadillacs and stuff. It was really funny. But, um, and we shared it with Sonic Youth um, with a band called the Weigels. Uh, it was just uh, some uh, two, I think two sisters and a brother. I'm not sure. It's Trisha Weigel, who I actually dated for a minute. Really, really cute girl. Um, and I think she hates me because it didn't work out. But um, <laughs> and the, uh, the, the guys that owned the space or that had the lease were these guys, uh, the Braun brothers, just twin brothers. They were kind of doing like keyboarding music. I, I, want, I want to say like New Order or something like that kind mm. of vibe. Hmm. Um, and I heard, um, I just did an interview with someone that worked with Brad Talinsky, who uh, was Guitar World magazine, He put, put, he's the one that put me on the cover. I guess Brad was in that space for a while, too, so uh, anyway, I would go in there late at night because we would have to work out who was in the space and who was rehearsing to get our schedule. But at late at night, nobody was in there, so I had a little space heater and I had a little de- uh, desk, uh, actually this desk right here that I've had forever. And um uh, I had the socks, these red ski socks from high school, and I cut the, the toes and heels out so I could put them on my hands and because it was cold down there, it was three sub basements <laughs> down. yeah, that's, that's gonna part, be great. <laughs> that's <laughs> where I came that's where I came up with, with uh you know that that rim. I guess it would pick pick, huh? And then the uh, so, and, and if you sing this lick, it's like it's like a blues lick. It's like, yeah. So it should be.
1: <laughs> I went down to the crossroads, yeah. <laughs> but the beat. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, I can't remember
0: it sounds terrible on
1: this guitar
0: um uh, anyway um so that was a lot of that stuff was uh, written down there and unsung i had i had written i was with my now ex-wife and our roommate in a um, east village uh railroad flat that had this little room in the in between the kitchen where the bathtub was in the kitchen and our room was in the front of the house there's the kitchen bathtub um, and then this little tiny middle middle room that faced the air shaft, and then the back room. Our roommate had she had a loft bed, and you had to walk through her room to go to the toilet. Um,
1: oh man, which, would be, a,
0: which it would be which would be a, yeah. We had to walk under her bed to get, to, and it was the toilet was. You had to go up four steps to this little pedestal. To, bathroom and it was like would it would be a disaster now at the age of 60 and my prostate having to pee like five times a night you
1: know poor <laughs> flair it'd
0: be like God I feel
1: like Grand out. Central Station yeah, <laughs> yeah it
0: would be ridiculous. But, uh, uh, so that song was written in there and it took a long time that took a long time too I think when you was kind of once I discovered the vocabulary I was kind of constantly trying to because you know we this was the FBLA chord and uh, and so I kind of expanded from there. Like one, by the time I got to I know I was doing this. Uh, I, you know, um, you know what it would sound really good on this guitar. Um, anyway, um, yeah, that's kind of it. That's I mean when we we Jimmy pushed us to go in and do the record, and he. Um, Everybody t- talks about producers and all that stuff, and I was kind of disheartening. By the time we went to do Betty, we had, we had it sold, we had a gold record, and we got a Grammy nomination, and all stuff. For meantime, and then Jimmy Iovine's like, "Who's going to produce the next record?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Like right. <laughs> I thought, I thought we did a pretty fucking good job, you know? Yeah. Um, like it's it, we sold this, this underground indie New York band sold six hundred fifty thousand records in one year. And had a Grammy nomination. I go, what, what, what more do you do you want? You know, but it was it's just part of the music business that I didn't understand. That it was all, you know, they they saw dollar signs and they wanted. Um, and when Jimmy um, he said to me when we did Betty, he goes, "This is a great record." He goes, "It's not what I." He said, "I expected another unsung." And I was kind of like, well, "Why? <laughs> you know, like, like I'm not." I mean, I had this conversation with um, uh, the Lincoln Park guys, and they're like, "Oh yeah, our, our our second album was our first album. We just you could play those songs after you sell 10 million records or whatever. They everybody wants that again." And I yeah. go, "That's not the way. I, that's do not that the again. way I work.
1: <laughs> just do yeah, that, that one that's,
0: again." That's, that's, <laughs> again, I come back to I come back to jazz and spirit of you know learning from your mistakes and your and your successes and, and and moving forward going on to the next phase you know what I mean? that's,
1: um,
0: it's a fender amp
1: well yeah that's interesting because then you think about terms of like sequencing and stuff too right like you know so when meantime came out like on songs like what fourth fifth song in something along those lines like it's not like like nowadays it's like it's oh you you get maybe like 10 seconds of someone's attention so it's like you know the the first song is the single and it's just like right there yeah it's
0: unbelievable Unbelievable. here's the song forget the rest of the album yeah the rest of
1: the album exists as a delivery system for the single for it to be given more importance somehow
0: the first song we released was in the meantime i mean it's like it's it's great what song sums up sums up the you know the aesthetic of the band and, it's a mission and, uh,
1: statement song pretty much right yeah you know? <laughs>
0: yeah exactly it's our as i was to say it's our it's our whole lot of love like it'll be the once we play that at a show the show's over you know that's you know that's like i always say that's our whole lot of love because uh, that was the, the zep closer but um yeah it was it was you know we we, we uh we didn't we were we were kind of naive in a lot of ways because we just believe that you do something that you believe in and you love and people will either get it or they won't. And some people uh, got it and and loved it. And then people hate you for it because you, I don't know why, because you do, because you did something that you love and believe in. And um, I don't understand that, that uh, mentality. It's like,
1: just happened there but <laughs> it's a little technical technical difficulty here this is a uh, technology is, is there we go. It, it, uh, you
0: know, a lot of musicians and guys in bands have said i saw you guys and i said hey i can do this i don't have to have you know, i don't have to look like a look like a, look the part or look like yeah. a rocker or like,
1: have the black jeans yeah. and the long black hair and all that yeah yeah <laughs> Fine
0: and cool, It just wasn't what I was into. You
1: know? and, uh, well, and it's uh, it's interesting to me that that was that was such a big thing at the time. With helmet, is like it almost felt like it was necessary if anyone was talking about it. Be like, well, they just look like they just you know came from a pickup baseball game or something. You know, it's it's like okay, well, sure, but I mean, is that really what you're going to spend half the article talking about? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah,
0: the, yeah. The ironic thing was John and Henry were not really athletic. I mean, they're, you know, they, I don't think, I don't think either of them, you know, I, I took a baseball glove and a football on tour. I played catch with John Doe from X once. So that was really fun. Um, and then I jammed a finger playing catch in the parking lot in Sacramento on my, my, my fretting hand. Ooh. This, this <laughs> Like, okay, that's a bad idea. And then another, another tour, I, t- I challenged our drum tech to basketball and first, I drove past him faster than he could blink and I, I made a layup and I landed on a curb behind the basket and <laughs> tore my ankle like it. So then we had to play a festival in front of like 8,000 people and I could barely move. But
1: <laughs> at, so least, like, at least you weren't in the cast or anything, you know? Yeah, like I yeah, it was st-
0: stupid so I stopped doing the sports on the road. But yeah, I mean people, like some people, I don't know man, like I, I, I always, for me, I felt like dropping the needle on stuff. I didn't really know, you know. Uh, I knew what Led Zeppelin looked like, but I didn't know that Robert Plant had, like, his 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 cock and balls wrapped in tight denim, you know. And the camera shot was going to be his his job. When I first saw the Led Zeppelin movie, I was just like, "Ew! Wait, like, why is he doing? It? Like, he's I love his music and he sings like, like he's amazing, but Alex, that that's." stupid man why does he show his cock and balls off you know it's like oh okay that's part of the part of the deal you know like, yeah that, that wasn't
1: for you apparently you know <laughs> I mean it was amazing the movie was amazing sure, yeah.
0: I, I had a similar reaction cold. by
1: the way to it and, and then later on I was like oh I get it okay I, I know why I did that Yeah, now. okay
0: yeah, it was great to get to see. I saw it at the varsity theater in Ashland, Oregon. And that's, you know, back then you used to have to smoke about 10 joints to get high, but, um,
1: uh, <laughs> it's all about quantity, sh- not quality.
0: Duty <laughs> pot. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's, I think that, you know, part of the kind of, in a way, kind of part of the beauty of it is that we were naive and, and uh, but unfortunately there are people that are going to, uh, attack you for it, you know? And, uh, uh, I still refuse to become uh, cynical about music. I can right. I can see what the music business can do to you. Bill Evans has a great interview uh, with his brother, uh, talking about that, about maintaining, about learning as much as you can and progressing as a musician, but then sitting down and still having that. Uh, freshness, that naivety—you know, as a, of a, of a child—I think he talks about it. You know, like sitting down and being being honest
1: about it, and that's finding that enthusiasm, that, finding that, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what keeps
0: me going. You know, I still still am humbled by music. I still can't—you know i uh, one of my students is my nephew, and he wants to learn Travis picking, so I'm like, I guess I better learn. Um, I mean, I've, I've done fake Travis picking like I can do finger picking patterns but never really really learned that stuff yeah and i go holy shit this is a whole nother world you know merle travis and tommy emmanuel and these guys are just like crazy it's crazy jerry reed sure yeah. um but music will always keep you humble music there's always something you know people that think they're you know they're fucking amazing geniuses will, you know i can go like can you play like andre segovia Nope. Okay. So you're. I guess you're not so
1: great.
0: You know what I mean? Like, can, can you play like you know West Montgomery? Nope. Okay. All right. So sit down.
1: The. Uh, so just real quick. Last thing on, on Betty. I think it's interesting that that was. That was kind of the record where you know there's some, explicitly jazz stuff. You know there's there's like the, the cool like Hawaiian uh, the like slide guitar the. Uh, pedal steel guitar and like a uh, bluesy stuff. And, you know, some folks loved it. Some, and, and some folks, you know, maybe were like, wait, I expected it to, you know, be, you know, 14 more in me, uh, in the meantime and uh, <laughs> on songs, <you> Yeah, <laughs> uh, That's
0: um, like I said, it's your, it's uh, it's, um, I guess a matter of pers- perspective. And for me, I'm a musician. I'm, i you know, I'm, I'm. I keep coming back to jazz, but what I love about jazz is you think John Coltrane was worth, John Coltrane took so much criticism, you know, and they are calling it anti-jazz and whatever, and and no one is, you know, real, real, really. When you think about it, no one has surpassed what he what he did that in the ten years that he was on the scene, let's say fifty-seven to sixty-seven when he died. It's incredible, right? Yeah. Has anyone covered it as that much, you know, musical territory ever? Like and um thank God he did. And, and he would use he, he was so humble about it. I've read interviews with him. He's like, I would I'll sit down with any critics if they want to talk about what we're doing. People are gonna if they don't if it isn't in their wheelhouse and they don't understand it, they're gonna criticize it. This is garbage. This is shit. This is it's like, okay, your qualifications are what exactly? <laughs> oh, Oh, you have you have an you have an opinion because you read a book. Yeah. Okay. You know, if I would if I sat around and worried about that and, 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 and took offense to that, then I would be I wouldn't be worth my you know my weight you know and, and, and music and uh, you know as a composer as a writer as a singer as a songwriter whatever it's it's you have to you have to be driven by 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 that kind of otherworldly passion that is, that music uh, uh, inspires, you know, I mean, that's right. what I still, I remember the first time I got goosebumps, you know, the first, you know, first time I just felt like I was on cloud nine when I listened to something and my feet were three, I was three feet off the ground, you know, if I can hold your feet down, that's, that idea was about, you know, the me time thing, like flying away and getting carried away. It's like, I'm going to pull you back down to reality. And uh, that was actually I had a vision of Someone over the Oregon coast floating away with themselves oh,
1: wow. um,
0: I don't know why it was a very weird weird line but um, that 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 thing that music does to you for you with you that you part you know and I, I I say it I've said it a million times I, it, it chose me as much as I chose it you know and and I don't know what where it came from or um, but I feel like you know if it ever goes away then'll then I'll stop you know but it, it doesn't you know so
1: and that's 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 wonderful. That's beautiful, and that's that's actually be a great place to stop. But there's like a couple other things I just wanted to run past you real quick. If it, if it was okay, I wanted to uh, I, sure. mutual friend John Hammond of the Undetermined Podcast uh, is is in the live chat box and says hello. By the way, oh cool, hi. And then uh, he was he brought up, and I actually had this in my notes, but we've been all over the place. The out of body art project that you with the mixing like the light and sound and stuff. Could you speak a little bit to that? Can I tell the listeners about that? Oh, the other
0: the, the, you mean the art project I did with uh, Ravi and Corey from scene four yeah those two those two projects yeah yeah close the name sorry yeah that's okay the first one was called close to home I I, I didn't know that's what it was called that's funny um, uh, the close to home was the first one I met with those guys who had coffee and they had this idea to do these photos of collage in a speaker cabinet and I thought hey what about the mo- what about the motel my family lived at in in um, in Medford, when Mom and Dad bought a motel for two thousand dollars with a, a loan from uh, my dad's dad in the bank, and we lived there, and 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 I had this cool uh, uh, photos of that place. So then I had the photo of my mom uh, holding me, the first photo of me uh, on on, uh, on 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 Earth, standing in front of this big gas tank at some motel in Oregon. I'm like, really nice setting, Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was great. My mom looks stunning, just beautiful. And there I am with my little pudgy face and my cap or whatever. Um, so we kind of built it around that. I thought it'd be like a kind of an autobiographical thing. So I have my, my siblings, my parents, my grandparents, my grandma Ruth is in the window. We couldn't find one of Grandpa Carl. I um, have grandma, uh, uh, grandma Gladys and Grandpa Bones right there. Um, and then Dad with the ever present cigarette. Um, uh, yeah, it just was a cool, a cool, um, a kind of a collaboration in that they had the original idea to do speaker Cabin, and I said, "How about the motel?" And then how about this kind of autobiographical type yeah. thing? And the next one we did uh, was the lights. They they had done it with a bunch of drummers, um, including Carl Palmer, who and I, I worship Emerson Lake and Palmer, um, and and was was devastated when when Keith Emerson committed suicide, oh, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had done it with a bunch of drummers, and I was the first guitar player. So they designed this because they they're trying to figure out how to do it. They designed this glove with copper wiring fingertips, and fingertips. They ran voltage strings. We were in the in the in the garage, pitch black, and took like uh, Trevor Trainer, my friend Chris Trainer's cousin, took like 650 photos, and yeah, and we just sort of manipulated the light. We get these cool light streaks these cool. Um, you know, cool visual imagery. And that's actually the basis for the artwork for the seven inch box set. Um, that's coming the out. One you it's mentioned called...
1: coming out, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we did, I, I, I'll talk about the songs we did. Uh, I'm only sleeping by the Beatles with my kind of orchestral guitar, uh, sustainer stuff. And we did a uh, ETI by, uh, Oyster who uh, who's, was one of my favorite bands ever, um, who I saw in 1976 and they were mind blowing. Um, my first time seeing lasers. Um, then, um, uh, we did uh, Wire, uh, Punk Rock Heroes of Mine. Wire, who I played on their album Object Forty Seven.
1: One of my favorite um, bands did, of all time. Uh, yep, <laughs>
0: incredible, incredible bands. We did Mercy off Chairs Missing, which oh, yeah. is my favorite album.
1: Hell yeah! And, Chairs uh, Missing's an all-time uh, for me. That's a that, that's a top yeah. twenty record for sure.
0: Then we did uh, we did a David Bowie cover. Uh, it's kind of off the beaten path from the my my favorite. Uh, I kind of go back and forth between Lodger and Scary Monsters, but those are two and Aladdin Sane. You know depends on what kind of mood I'm in, but those three records are my kind of my favorite Bowie's and uh, move on is this incredible, incredible track this like emotional, heartbreaking at the same time, uplifting vocal that he does. So we did a cover of that and that's the name of the box set. We're calling it move on after, after the year of pandemic and four years of, of, political venom and, and, and d- divisiveness and all the stuff that we've kind of been through as a country. I just, I say kind of move on, like, let's
1: move, let's move on. Let's, <laughs> it's a suggestion let's kind of, as much as anything else. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's, God, uh, can we, can we, can we, you know, can we all just get along? You know, we can have, you can have differences of opinion without hating someone or saying that Democrats should be killed. I, I I'm just, it's so frustrating that this is what, well, this is a democracy, right? This is like, like we all, I, I just, I've never been, you know, I, I, could, I disagree with my own brother who's, right. who's, uh, you know, who's gay and Republican. And I'm like, you know that they don't accept you, right? He's
1: yeah. Like, that's, that's good. So that's quite the dichotomy. <laughs>
0: but he's, he's my brother. I love him. He's, he's really intelligent and he's passionate and whatever. And it's, and it's like, but we don't, we're not, you know, we don't, I don't, hate him because he disagrees with some political view that I have. Because like, right. yeah. you know, even though I'm right, he's wrong. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, clearly, yes.
0: <laughs> it's,
1: it's simple. Just like,
0: it's like, truth, lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, oh, it should, let me think.
1: Yeah, you, you shouldn't... 30,000,
0: 31,000 lies in full five years.
1: Hmm, I don't know. Maybe I don't trust him. It, it shouldn't be an identity thing to... Uh, to have agreed upon set of facts, I think. Is yeah, a good way to put it. You know, you mentioned you know, doing the Bowie song, and, and that reminded me that you uh, you played guitar for Bowie on on a uh, on the Hour Store. What was that experience like? Was that was that? Oh, it, was, it was amazing. Seems like that'd be okay.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of work. I had just left my wife in July, and in August, I got the call from one of my heroes, who she coincidentally really. um I knew Bowie, and I, I, I admired him from afar, but I wasn't a, an aficionado. I wasn't a student until I married her, and she thought he he was her, one of her great musical heroes. Um, and so she really got me into him, and I really appreciated him a lot more after that. So it's kind of ironic that I left her and then I get a call from him, and I, was, I started playing with him. But, it's like, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at that point, then they gave me... They, a list of 30 songs to learn in two weeks so i feel like i was just scratching the surface and i had my own my own projects my own musical things that i was doing and um uh, uh but that was an opportunity you could obviously not pass up and i learned so much from him um he was i cried when he died obviously i, I, I love him i loved him as a as an artist yeah. for a long time and i loved him as a as a as a, a person, so.
1: And I just remember at the time that it was it was sort of like, oh, that's cool. Like I wouldn't necessarily expect that, but that's cool. But that's like such a David Bowie thing of like, you know, the unexpected. Like that, like his yeah, musical symbiosis with Trent Reznor you know, that he was doing for yeah, a while. Where it's like, oh, all right, yeah, why not? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah.
0: I'm, no, he's 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 um he was obviously incredibly open-minded, and 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 um, we. Um, when we were in Copenhagen after the show, we did live, we did a series of live shows and we we're in Copenhagen and, um, I'm a huge admirer and friend of uh, David Torn. And, um, he, he had this, this project called splatter cell. And I, I felt like David Torn and Bowie would go really well together in the studio. I mean, I'm taking full fucking credit for this because I deserve it. <laughs> um, I gave I gave Bowie uh the Splatter Cell CD and I go this is the guy you need and uh oh, man. nice yeah that's the bro
1: move of all bro moves right there that's amazing
0: <laughs> well it's, it was a perfect mar- it was a perfect marriage i mean the i think torn played on the next three bowie albums yeah. and um and that was like two geniuses working together and i i, I feel totally responsible for that i also Get to take full credit for introducing uh, Buzz to his wife
1: Mackie. So there you go. Which are my two. Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's I, a I long-standing, that's beautiful marriage, marriage that is yeah, like stood the test this of time. Is my yeah, and Mackie, this is my friend
0: Buzz from the Melvins. Mack, uh, Buzz, this is my fr- my really cute friend Mackie. Here you go.
1: Look it they're married now. How many years? Yeah. So, uh, it's that. that those, those are. I think you you get full credit for both of those for sure. two <laughs> great. <laughs> It's, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and it's 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 interesting just to have been uh, to hear the stories about Bowie because you know I was lucky enough to get Tony Visconti on the show, and of course I you know I I picked, prodded, poked, and pulled to to see what I could get out of him, and it's just, it just it seems like he had such a, a, an amazing effect on anyone that worked with him. The, or, you know, the the, the, the experience uh, was just as magical as uh as the music, right? Like in its way.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was like look I'm a I'm a at heart a kind of punk rock guy right so I like the indie kind of aesthetic that that you know the, the DIY and when you when you're dealing with an icon who's also a celebrity there are certain things that come with it that are were difficult for me to be like because I wasn't looking for my my kind of uh, moment with with Bowie like mm-hmm. I'm, I wasn't trying to latch on to him or leech on him or be like be seen with him or I, I was like honored and flattered to 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 get to play his music with him that was amazing and but then there would be the kind of things where like you're around and everybody's like kind of swarming around like you know uh when we did the the Net-Aid concert he and he and Mc, he and Mick Jagger were hanging out and everybody was just like Ugh. <laughs> you know and I was I was I was macking on one of George Michael's backing singers this, Gorgeous girl. I was like, hey, I was used to smoke. I was like, hey, so how's it going? I was like, yeah, like a total whatever. Just not macking on just like, God, she's cute. I'm going to talk to her. And everybody was. and, And I feel like there was kind of a there was there's a political thing that happens with someone like that. That is out of it's beyond their kind of control. And he was incredibly gracious. I saw how he handled himself. Um, he didn't want photos because he just got off a 12 hour flight. And he wants to control his, his his image, which is absolutely admirable and understandable. But he would be in the middle of a, putting a fork full of food in his mouth, and somebody would shove a napkin in front of him to sign something
1: at dinner. Yeah.
0: Like, Come God, on. It, was, it was like, you know, he's a human being. And that's how I, I, I kind of describe him as like he's. He's my uncle, Uncle Dave. That just happens to be a genius, you know. And he's
1: sorry, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, he's he was lovely. He's really uh, he's lovely. There's he's 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 different than <laughs> than the rest of us. I'm sorry, man. He's like you don't you're born with something like that. I, I mean, he always he got an eighth grade education or something. I mean, he's, he's a high school dropout? The smartest person I've ever met. I mean, really, he's like smart, smart. Not like showing off smart, yeah, just yeah. really smart, just really smart. You read voracious H- everywhere we were, you'd be reading on the plane, in the airport, just reading, always reading stuff. You know, I love an interview we did in Italy. He did, we were, we were playing some time for, and I could see, I did the translate. I could see the body language. The interviewer was trying to like kind of talk down to him about some kind of political thing. I saw Bowie get pissed. I saw him laugh. I could hear his end of it through the translator, lashing out, and I was like, "Guys, awesome! You cannot fuck with this man." Yeah, I, I can't.
1: Why would you think you would be able to? <laughs> yeah,
0: because people, because people are shitty. And, you know, like some people are just shitty, and it's bad journalism. It's bad. It's like I say, it's the, like the Hemingway thing. You, a journalist, that has to have a make a name for himself or prove something it's like fucking
1: the, the person doing thumbs down on those videos you were talking about earlier
0: yeah <laughs> making like a big sean, production of sean, it sean sean hannity claiming that antifa did the uh, attack the capital you know it's like yeah. fuck you get the fuck out of here man it's like uh, <laughs> it's like truth just truth and i mean you know, yeah anyway i learned a lot from him he's amazing and the songs are amazing so i'm really proud of uh of move on the way it came out and um It'll hopefully be released in May, June, something
1: like that. Well, and there's, a, like, the Dead to the World album. You kind of... It's the first one I can think of that really leaned into, like, kind of harmonies. Like, like vocal... Uh, like, heavy, heavy usage of, of harmony and vocals and things along those lines. And, and therefore, like, the songs kind of hit a little differently uh, than any of the back catalog. It
0: started way back with Size Matters. I mean, we had taste, there'd be like two-part harmonies you know i'd be like i have this harmony part and sardi uh, uh working with sardi was also another incredible experience i got to work with look at people that i work with as a as, as a co-producer wharton tears uh martin bc um uh, uh butch Fig, uh, uh dave sardi andy wallace uh, god i don't want to leave anybody out. terry date um I don't want to leave anybody out. It's, Toshi so Ghazai, man. <laughs> the, 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 one
1: of uh, the great oh, uh, unsung heroes. <laughs> Mike,
0: yeah, Mike, Rob, Mike Robinson, who who recorded Led Zeppelin for the BBC. I worked with him with Band of Susans. Um, and who am I, who am I uh, le- leaving, leaving out? So, well, Albini. Uh, Albini was great. Um, you learn something from each of these, these um, uh, engineers slash producers. Steve doesn't like to call himself a producer. I think he said... That's like calling him motherfucker or something. I'm like, okay,
1: whatever. <laughs> he's, he's very, he's, he's got his ideas yeah, about that, yeah.
0: <laughs> talk about, yeah, him, him building his brand, his shtick, that's his shtick, I guess, whatever. He's great. I love working with him, and he was, but, you know, it's like, come on, man, just, you know, like, if I ask you your opinion, I want to know your opinion, you know? It's like, yeah. if you could be... You could be my mom in the room. Mom, what do you think? You know what I mean. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to. You stick your neck out and call yourself a producer. What do you think? You like this? And I. It might be rhetorical. I just want to bounce it off someone so I can, you know,
1: give me an idea. You're not you know operating I mean? in a vacuum. Yeah, exactly. But
0: I love. You know, it's it's. He was funny. That really, really funny. That play, man. was that was a funny funny thing. That's kind of just his his thing. His is, uh, you know. But um, anyway yeah Uh, Visconti love to meet him yeah I met I met Glenn Johns oh nice he was god he was so nice man he was just so nice he was shocked that I that I was like he's like you know who I am I'm like yeah
1: I think there's there might be a stigma for when people quote unquote come from punk rock even though that isn't necessarily your exact background like the the idea of like there's this aesthetic of you know, it's just the sex pistols, middle fingers in the air to anything that was like, <laughs> you know, you know, not like the most abrasive thing ever. And that's r- ridiculous. And I think that's probably dying down a little bit. But I think like, I've, I've noticed that there has been some folks like, oh, well, you're into this. It's like, yeah, <laughs> of course, it's good. Why wouldn't it, I be? It's good. You know, like, like, it's so funny that in, you can, in
0: retrospect, you can look back 30 years and what was what people were precious about or protective or what people thought was cool if you if you're honest with yourself i remember when i was with of susan's the first interview i ever did with them is one of the first interviews i've ever done actually and i was i had been working delivering my learning annex magazines in in new york and i had to get some food so i got a (laughs) i got a a cheeseburger and fries from the diner And i came to robert's apartment and and this guy gerard cosloy was there interviewing them and he He's a big uh, journalist, and he has homestead records, and you know, whatever. I'm like, okay, cool, awesome. Well, I at one point had to get up and go urinate, and I guess I didn't close the door all the way. It wasn't on purpose. I, like, I, I went to pee, and the door was cracked open, and Susan's like, "paint the door. I was like, I'm like, sorry. And I was, the band is Robert and Susan, mostly Robert, then Susan got more involved. And so how many questions they have for me? I want to eat my fucking dinner. And I was like, apparently it was rude or disrespectful. That's why I think the thing with the beer, I'm like, I mean, would you have a conversation with your, with your, you know, your best friend while you have a beer or eat a burger? Yeah, so why not, you know, just be, and apparently I was offensive in some way, but Gerard Cosloy would write reviews about us. He said something about me being Somebody who sent this to me. He's like, "Oh, it's like actually he's quite handsome." I'm like, "Okay, this has to do with the music in what way?"
1: <laughs> yeah, what relevancy and, does that have? To, yeah, <laughs> I don't know,
0: man. Like, I know I went to see Gerard's band play. You know what I mean? And it was it was okay. You know, it wasn't as good as Helmet, but it was okay. Yeah. And you know, I bet I'm not going to criticize. Yeah. Right. It's like people get, people get these. I don't know, this notion of what's cool and what's not. And then you look back a million years, it's like, I guess guitar solos are okay, right? It's like, I guess, <laughs> I, guess, I guess short hair and shorts on stage are, are you know, doesn't mean we're evil or, or shitty or stupid, or I guess having this guitar is is okay, you know? It's like, it, it's still, it sounds great and it plays great. And that's what matters. I don't it's think, fuchsia, really, not it. It's funny, I thought... <laughs> uh, um, when we did this festival in Santiago it like two years ago now, like Patton, I hadn't seen Patton for years. And uh, Thurston Moore, I hadn't seen Thurston for years. And those two guys, running into them, it felt like I saw them yesterday. They were, yeah. they were, they we'll were pick right back up, huh? huge, like love hugs. My pats like, God, I love you, man. It's so great to see you. And that's how I felt. It was like, we just, he, he made fun of my bandmates for wearing a you know the Atlanta Braves cap or whatever. And we just <laughs> we we just talked. It was like I saw him yesterday. And here's a great artist. And there's Thurston, another great artist. He, I saw him getting in their van or whatever. Or getting something, yeah, he was like big hugs. He's like, oh my god, you got to come and hang. My band loves you. They just want to meet you. And so I had I had a beer where they had wine. And it's like these guys have been doing this for a long time. They know, they've seen the shit, they know. And Thurston said to me, we play with Sonic Youth in Australia, and he said, when I saw you at the Pyramid opening for Nirvana, our second show ever, Iggy Pop was there, everyone that, everyone that's anyone in New York. He goes, I just couldn't take it. It was like like fucking, like, you know, I, like uh, Louise from CBGB's described it as ice picks to her forehead. It's just like, it was too fucking much. And he goes, now getting to play with you guys, and hear you every night because i get it i love it it's amazing it's so cool and sometimes it takes it takes uh someone even a great artist like thurston a minute to latch on to something right. or maybe you know, like it's not you don't stuff's not meant to be immediately digestible and you can't see it through some filter of you know some the cool filter you, you listen to it from as a musical thing you know what i mean and it's like I get that we're we're not for everyone. Some, I get that.
1: Some yeah. of my favorite bands, first time I heard them, I was like, "This sucks, I don't like it." And then, like for whatever reason, I like try it again. I'm like, "Oh wait, actually, there's something here." And then, like you know, third or fourth listen, I'm like, "This is genius." What was my problem?
0: <laughs> I saw I saw Radiohead with my dear uh, late friend Sean from Surgery. He said, "There's this band from England playing called Radiohead at CBGB's. It's a matinee. It's free booze." I was like, "I'm there." He said so we went there, and words. we were, <laughs>
1: yeah, we. We watched
0: him for like a half an hour, and I'm just like, it's their first album, Pablo Honey. I was like, That's, that doesn't really float my boat, man. Like, let's go to the bar, next, let's go to next door. We were such assholes. We were signing their posters, like New York City sucks. Radiohead, you know, <laughs> fuck, fuck we Love Radiohead. Just being <laughs> just two assholes. Well, got years later. I'm in Los Angeles. I'd flown out to work with Q from Uberzone the guy that doesn't think Ringo's good. Um, And we were, he, he, he put on this OK computer record. And I just, I was like, I listened to it three times in a row. Yeah. I was like, fuck me. This is that band. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't like it. CBGB yeah. <laughs> is fucking amazing. I was yeah. just like, holy shit. And that, I, I was just like, boom. So it's like, yeah, you know. I wasn't, maybe either I wasn't ready for it or maybe they got better. Maybe Thurston wasn't ready for it. Maybe we got better. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it happens.
1: um, yeah, two, there's, there's two quick things. One, <laughs> one from a friend, two words, hangover Hamilton.
0: That was a Bowie thing.
1: <laughs> this is, uh, that th- was, this is from Crover, by the way.
0: Crover. <laughs> yeah. 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 it's like, God, it's like, a Because everybody on the Bowie tour was sober and and apparently like celibate, because there were, it was like there were no, nobody did anything on that tour. Like, and I had just left my wife of 10 years, Um, you know, the kind of soulmate love of my life. And and I was in a bit of a wreck, but um, I, so I was drinking after shows. And like, and we were in, I think that Hangover Hamilton, uh, no, 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 okay. He came in in Dublin. I went out with the the brother of the Corps, These three beautiful women that have this Irish oh yeah, I'm familiar. That, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. They were not that nice, but the brother was really nice. So we were up drinking. We were up drinking Guinness all night with you know, and it was really really fun. So I'm in the in the VIP lounge that you got to sit in with Bowie and the, the newspaper. And David came up and he kissed my forehead. and He's like, I oh, hear yeah, Paige, he's got a hangover. So, but uh, cut to we We're in. Paris. We're doing a TV show in Paris. I, w- I was staying at Le Corridor on the uh, Champs-Élysées. My hotel room was twice as big as my New York City apartment. And um, so we're at the TV show and they have all this beer and food. And I'm like, fuck, nobody's drinking. And so I was like, Are you, can, I, can I take this? <laughs> uh, I, get these, I get these two big bags of uh, and fill them with beer and maybe some cheese and crackers or whatever, cheese and bread. And I'm I'm like back to the hotel, and I I walk, I go to the elevator, and it and I just hit the button. It was about to close, and I turned to get on the elevator, and it's the boss. And I'm like, hey, and uh, I put put my my bags of beer down. It's like you know bottles rustling, clank 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 clank, <laughs> and he's like, oh. God, hangover Hamilton's at it again. <laughs> I'm just like Yeah, well, you know, this whole thing like left the wife, uh I'm in Paris, you know. It was it was pretty funny. Yeah, that was that was one of, that was one of the funnier things. He was so brilliant that way. He would come up with these great 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 sayings,
1: you know. But. Well, that's that that story definitely delivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good, right? page thanks so much for doing it uh this has been it's been a pleasure last thing it's the only can question I ever asked you can choose to interpret it however you'd like why do you do what you do
0: i know as i said earlier it, it it chose me as much as i chose it i i used to sit uh, uh lay in the middle of hayward field in eugene oregon when i was a freshman in college and a, a pre-med pre-med major flunking out and i would meditate slash pray slash lay on my back, looking at the clouds rolling by and stars and Oregon and think about what am I going to do with my life? I have to choose something that I feel passionate about, that I'm excited to wake up every single day and, 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 and do. And that's why I say, this is, it's music. That's it. Period. That's, I have to, I have to do this. It's what I dream about. It's what I fantasize about. It's what I want to be. It's what I want to do, and um, and yeah, and I mean all the other stuff that comes with it. I didn't know, I didn't count on. I didn't know I get to travel the world and meet amazing people and make records. And now you know, now a school of rock work with kids, and now you know, to pass my knowledge on to people. And Le- it's all part of the thing. But I love. I do this because it's what I'm what I what I'm put here for, and what I love, really, really, truly love, love. You know, this is what I'll wake up. The first thing I'll do every morning, coffee. Boom. okay no, like round midnight how's that go you know like it's it's cool it's fun it's really fun
1: Paige thank you so much cool. man. it's been a pleasure thanks
0: yeah great I appreciate it so stay safe and, uh, thanks for having
1: me you too man take care okay bye. see ya bye oh there he goes Mr. Paige Hamilton what a cool guy that was great hope you guys enjoyed that In the meantime, helmet. That is the, the mission statement song. That's the uh, as we established, and, and the closer. That's their. Uh, that's helmet's whole lot of love. <laughs> I believe, is, is, uh, as Page said. Hey, that was pretty cool. Freaking Page Hamilton, right? <laughs> Hangover Hamilton. That uh, that story delivered. I got. I gotta. Gotta thank Rover for that. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This has been Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you so much for listening to it. Are we going? This show airs usually Thursdays 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific on RadioNope.com. So, yes to nope. Archives at ProtonicReversal.com. It's always free. Always, 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 always. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show and want to hear episodes sooner, patreoncom reversal, one dollar a month we will get you there. The, the I read announced the next couple episodes. I don't know if I am or not. Uh, there's some cool stuff coming up. Uh, thanks to anyone for you know spreading the episodes around writing reviews. It sounds silly, but it helps people find the show. And if this is your first episode, stick around. Yeah, there's, 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 a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in the archives, too. I'm biased, though. I've got 50,000 watts <laughs> of power find all things Paige hamilton at uh, i believe it's pagehamilton.com i guess you oh, should no. be make a look up for it the <laughs> pagehamiltonmusic.com
0: microphone turns sound thanks for listening everybody
1: stay so safe out there now, out on and take it easy. The dark and
0: lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter.